Welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm Sharon Betters, and my husband Chuck and I are your co-hosts today. Ever since I heard the story of Lou Gehrig, the baseball player, and how ALS took his life, I personally feared such a diagnosis, not only for myself, but for others. How do you face each day knowing this disease will win in taking your ability to care for yourself and eventually take your life? So when the opportunity to talk with a man who will soon succumb to the ravages of this disease, we knew it was a priceless opportunity. Today, we have the privilege of speaking to Dale Metter, who heard a diagnosis of ALS about two years ago, and Dale is now preparing for his physical death. Dale is husband to Nancy, his teenage sweetheart. He is a father, a grandfather, a beloved pastor by people all over uh, the country and maybe even the world, a police chaplain, and so much more. Dale knows his time on this earth is short. And in this conversation, Chuck and I asked Dale to give us a glimpse into how he's not only preparing himself, but his family for his absence and so much more. Dale's natural, joyful perspective on life comes through in this interview, but he told us he wants all of us to know that his perspective does not minimize the deep grief and fear ALS patients experience. His desire in sharing his story is for others to experience the same help and hope of Jesus that he, Dale, experiences every day. We are so grateful for Dale's willingness to offer the help and hope of Jesus, not only to the one diagnosed with ALS, but also to those who love them. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you, Nancy and I are big fans of your ministry and appreciate all the resources that you have blessed the people of God with. I want us to jump right in. You have received a, what most people would consider a devastating diagnosis of ALS. And how did you learn about this diagnosis and tell us what it means? Um, ALS is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It causes a gradual deterioration of all your muscles. I first noticed that my body was twitching all over. I was very weak and my voice was growing thinner. My doctor gave me a muscle relaxant. It didn't help. It was probably a year later. We were online matching up all my symptoms and it pointed to ALS. It's a fatal diagnosis. There's no cure. There's lots of things, I guess, being tested. But um, the average person, I've read somewhere that it's usually about 18 months to two and a half years from diagnosis to death. How long ago was your diagnosis? That was it two years ago, I believe. So you're pushing the limits. That's me. I'm a limit pusher. Yeah, what were the first thoughts that went through your mind when you realized you had ALS? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Chuck, my first thought was for my wife and her care after I would go, and then my grandkids. I did not enjoy the uh, active grandparents in my life, so I 
really, really wanted to be an active grandpa to our grandkids. We have five and a half grandkids. Our daughter is expecting her first. And I really uh, was excited about and wanted to be strategic and intentional by being involved in their lives. And we've started with the older ones. Our eldest is eight. And so it was kind of disappointing to me to learn that that would not be a, a feature of my life. Also, I have loved being a pastor. I've been a pastor for many years and police chaplain. That was something I was looking forward to getting more involved with as I age. So these were all disappointments that initially hit me. Now, when we as Christians are hit with news like this, many of us, the first thing we do is pray for healing. Did you pray for healing? You know, I didn't, Chuck. I've been surrounded by death. I've been surrounded by disability. We've been very active with uh, Johnny Erickson Tada for many years. So we've been surrounded by autism, spina bifida, cerebral palsy, a blindness. And I have seen the Lord work so marvelously in disability through it, as, for example, in Johnny's life, uh, but also in my wife's life. My wife is a chronic pain sufferer. And uh, so it, it didn't dawn on me. Now, if I were 35 or 45, I'd probably be taking a different approach to this. But 65, I just feel like I've been so very blessed. My first thought was, how can I put my diagnosis to work to bring glory uh, to the Lord? Well, I think I know how you're going to answer this next question. But did you ever question why God is allowing this to happen in your life? Uh, actually, you know, my question is, why has God afforded me so many joys and benefits? I, You know, I'm blessed with a wonderful helpmate. I always joke that if I'd been given the wife I deserved, you wouldn't want to run into that gal. Raising children was fun, and grandkids are a blessing. I've been way over blessed. We've been through some very hard things along the way, of course, in ministry, in our family. But I feel like I've been way over blessed. So, no, I didn't question why God was allowing this. I'm just a class clown with the gift of gab. The only thing I've deserved from God is his always righteous judgment. And yet here he has showered me with life and breath for almost 65 years. So I'm just very thankful for what I've had and want to make the best of what's left. I follow you on social media and your faith is so strong, such a blessing to those who love you and those who don't know you. And, and lots of people are going to be listening to this conversation. We've never met you, but I'm wondering, you started this journey with ALS with deep faith. How has ALS changed your faith or deepened it? And are there any things that you do to nourish your faith that you're being very intentional about doing in these last days? Well, that's a really good question. And I could go on at length, but instead I'll say that, you know, many years ago, I read one of my uh, favorite teachers, 
He wrote a little pamphlet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. He had been diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, which I also had. I had prostate cancer, kidney cancer. Uh, and one of his points was put your diagnosis to work. And because I read that years ago, I was, I was ready for this. I was ready to try and use my diagnosis to point people to Jesus. But when I did so, what I noticed is that people often responded with, oh, you're so brave, or oh, you're such an inspiration. And you know, that's not my aim at all, because I'm not brave, I'm a big chicken. I'm not inspirational, I'm a grumpy old guy. I wanted instead to focus attention on Jesus. That's why I made a recent video where I call attention to the first lesson I received in death. I've been surrounded by a lot of death as a pastor for nearly 40 years, as a police chaplain. I've witnessed a lot of death as a young pastor. I was on the call list of local mortuaries who would call me when people lost a loved one and people needed the pastor back in the day when people thought they had to have a minister for their funeral. And I learned to love that, walking into the stranger's home and sitting down and learning about their loved one and then doing a really good or affectionate job on the eulogy. I've been surrounded by death for, death for so long that I was ready for my own. And I've been preaching this for years to my congregation. The time to learn to swim is before the boat starts sinking. Be ready for death. It's not a question of if, only when, but because of a superstitious belief that if we talk about it, it will happen, we don't. And then we're like surprised. And we shouldn't be surprised. We need to be ready. We need to be confident in our faith. I was always disappointed by believers who would seem so committed to Christ, you know, on Sunday, but then they get bad news and their faith would crumble and they begin chasing odd remedies, you know, and as though death were the number one enemy. Well, it's not, you know, it's my entree to heaven. I get to be with Jesus. So I don't mean to sound glib. Again, if I were 35 and had youngsters in the home, you know, I, I'd be struggling. But at this point, I just feel like uh, God's good all the time and ready for wherever he has. You mentioned that you think about an example of someone who showed you how to die. Who, who was that? Tell us about that. And then how are you helping your family uh, prepare for your absence? Ooh, two more good questions. Uh, the first death that I got to watch up close and in real time was that of my mother-in-law. 1980 or so, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So me and my young wife, we were uh, married four years and I was in college and then seminary, waiting to have children of our own. We watched her go through the therapies for cancer and it was grueling. But on all those years, through all that she went, 
surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation. You know, she just had such a high confidence in the sovereignty of God that I didn't hear her complain or shake her fist at God, uh, angrily asking him why. And that made a big impression on me. And when finally the cancer took her, you know, I, I think that just set such a good example of faith for me. Here she was, a diminutive, a longtime missionary, loved the Lord, and yet she was a mighty woman of God and such a great example to me. Uh, your second question was, how am I dealing with my family in this? Yes. We're dealing with it by being very open about it, sitting the grandchildren down, speaking frankly about what's happening. Some months back, my grandson was praying and praying as he often did that uh, grandpa would feel better. And I appreciate that. But a few days later, when we were alone, I was able to sit down with him and explain that it's unlikely that grandpa will feel better. Indeed, I just keep deteriorating until I die. But then I get to go to be with Jesus for to live as Christ, to die as gain. Either way, I'm golden. So just trying to be real frank and honest with them, sorting out as many of the details as I can before I go to make life easier for Nancy and the kids. I've assembled little books of remembrances and phrases and things. I've been posting these as I've gone. Made We've made some picture books and so forth. And just trying to be open and honest about what is inevitable? Again, believers of all people should be willing to face the issue of death squarely without superstition or hesitation. People have asked about regret. I, I have some regret, of course. I would like to have eaten more German chocolate cake. I would like to have gone to the Bahamas. But, you know, I, I don't think that in heaven we're going to be sitting around thinking, well, this is really nice, but boy, I wish I'd gone to the Bahamas. I think in heaven the no tears promise means we're not going to look back on regrets with anything. And I love the way Randy Alcorn says, bucket lists are for people who have a very low view of heaven. Bucket lists are for people who think we're going to be disembodied souls floating around strumming harps. If we believe that heaven's wonderful, a place of excitement and exploration and joy with Jesus, we're not going to regret anything. So while there's a few things I might have wished to have done, I had a different plan, as I said, with the grandkids. I know that all that's going to evaporate the minute I die. I pray that that will be my family's perspective as well. When you get to heaven, what are the first couple of minutes going to look like? At least what you hope it would look like. There'll be German chocolate cake like my mother used to make. Uh, Jesus will be there. And uh, really, that's all I need. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of loved ones. I am curious to know why dogs only live about 10 years. But really, I'm uh, just ready for whatever, whatever he's got for us. May I share with you one struggle that I've had? 
uh, as I say, I'm a lighthearted person that kind of approached life that way my whole life. But I will admit to having struggled with some discouragement. And it's related to this. I'm one of four boys, four boys, two girls. I'm the son of a hardworking man. He taught us to be hard workers. My whole life, I've been a hard worker. Get it done, move fast, do two things at once, three things at once. When I was diagnosed, I anticipated that my struggle would be with a feeling of uselessness. And indeed, that's been true. As I lose the capability in my hands, my strength, I can still walk, but only a few feet. I can stand up, but that's about it. I can't fix anything. I can't type anymore. And um, I just look at everything that needs doing and could be done, all the people that could be loved and ministered to, all the sermons I could keep preaching the cops I could minister to, family members I could visit, grandkids I could spend time. I can't do any, any of these things. And so from time to time, the enemy gets in there and makes me feel discouraged about those things. And in those moments, I have to give that to the Lord, remembering that he accomplishes everything according to his perfect purposes. As far as I go, though outwardly I'm wasting away, yet inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. That passage, and we have this treasure in jars of clay, 2 Corinthians 4. That's my life verse, if you will, for this season of my, that's my life passage for this season of my life. And the principal means by which I combat this feeling of impetusness, powerlessness, uselessness. One other thing, I was struggling with that very thing one day when I did receive Johnny Erickson Todd's devotional. In it, she wrote that acceptance of that feeling of uselessness is the means by which God greatly shows uh, the power of his Holy Spirit in our lives, and in the lives of others. In other words, in that moment, the Lord met me with precisely the word that I needed to hear from a person who is an authority on the subject. Here, Johnny has been a quadriplegic for more than 50 years, a cancer survivor, a chronic pain sufferer. Well, if she can take that view toward needing full-time help, 724, certainly that can be my aim as well. Just to change gears just a little bit, I want to talk, get your response to your marriage. Nancy is a, a faith-filled, godly woman. I'm trying to imagine myself in her position where I know that my husband, I'm going to lose my husband. His perspective is your perspective of you're almost looking forward to heaven. How has Nancy been, first of all, an encouragement to you? And was there any period where she may have struggled with your response, your faith-based response? My poor wife's been struggling with my responses for 44 <laughs> years. 
And uh, I don't think now it's any exception because I do, being the goof, goofball that I am, it makes it sound like I'm making light of what's ahead for her. And I know it's going to be hard. I mean, we met when she was 16. So I kind of interrupted her development as a, a person, you know. We've been together so long that for her to be her without me, that's going to be a, a real challenge for her. So I know it's very easy for me to look forward to heaven and I'm not in any mood to stretch things out. If you came to me with a pill that would give me three more months, I probably wouldn't take it. But on the other hand, I would appreciate that that'd be a challenge for her. And she reminds me of that from time to time. I'm very thankful that we have we have a fantastic church, great leaders, elders and deacons. These have been our best friends for 25 years at this church. We have awesome kids, including a daughter who is her mother's best friend, just as my wife was her mother's best friend. So I know she's going to be very well taken care of. More importantly, my wife also has the hope of heaven. and. Um, I, we just have to keep reminding each other of that. I think she's she's jealous. You know, she wanted to go before I I did. I'm a beater. But, uh, you know, by the time we get there again, I don't think anybody's going to be in heaven jealous of someone else because they got there first. All those concerns will be satisfied in the blink of an eye. Who were some of the people outside of your family that since your diagnosis have encouraged you the greatest? That's a really good question. Nancy and I enjoy so much support because of our longtime involvement in the church. We're blessed with a church family that's just been so generous and kind to us, the leaders and people of our local church family. Uh, we've enjoyed the help and support of our local ALS Association chapter. The local police department's been great. One day I had about 15 cops over here working in my yards. Pretty fun bossing them around. Uh, mm -hmm. We've also been blessed with friends who, like when I they learned that I was diagnosed, they put up a GoFundMe that real quickly raise enough money to get rid of our lawns and replace them with low maintenance landscaping that Nancy wouldn't have to think about in the future. Oh, wow. I think the biggest encouragement has been the practical ways that people have helped with the delivery of meals, for example, and the delivery of notes by mail, by text, by email saying, you know, the Lord used you in my life in this way. We're hearing from people that we ministered to many, many years ago, people that I would not have imagined to have been encouraging to, but that just meant so much to us to hear from folks who could say, you know, God encouraged me in this way through 
you or your family or your teaching. That's wonderful. The idea that heaven is a better choice for you than surviving ALS here on earth might be something that a non-Christian would look at and say, well, I'm glad that's working for you, but that's not going to work for me. How would you respond to them? I'd be frank and say, you know, your odds are horrible. You better figure something fast. There's no winning with ALS. People talk about badly cancer. People talk about badly ALS. One way or the other, it's going to get you. You may enjoy a respite of a few years or maybe many, but if it's not right now, it's going to be something. And I know that can sound very fatalistic. Hey, that's not fatalistic. That's realistic. Get real. You better figure out who you are, why you're here, and what you're here for. I know that everything's uh, here as a result of the creator. I I answer people uh, who ask how I'm doing. I'll say, I'm doing great because I know why I'm here and where I'm going. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul meant when he said to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you live, you live for Christ. That's your overarching purpose. That's your joy in life, whether you're wealthy and, you know, a fit as an athlete or you're poor and you're uh, disabled in some way. Either way, you live for Christ. It takes your focus off all those things and statuses. And then when you die, you get to be with the Lord. What could be better than that? So I'd encourage that person by saying, you know, your odds are not good. You better be investigating alternative pretty quickly. As we're wrapping up, Dale, I'd like for you to imagine that you're in heaven. What do you think, just because of what you know about heaven, what message, if you could send a message back to us, what would that message be? That's a very interesting question. and You posed that to me, and I really puzzled over it. And to be honest, my, my best answer so far is, listen to all my old sermons. I wasn't a great preacher, but I preached the truth. I meant what I said, and that's what you need to know. What are some of the foolish things that people have said to you since they've learned your diagnosis that you would say, don't, don't say this to somebody who just found out? They have ALS. That's another good question. I would tell you that I think because amongst our friends and family, our teaching has been weighted so heavily on the glory of God and suffering and the recognition of his blessing in the midst of and not the absence of suffering or disability that I've heard very few foolish things. That's a beautiful gift. Dale, as we close, I'd like to ask you to share some of your favorite scriptures uh, for our comfort, for that person who is maybe weeping right now because they are in a similar situation. You'll appreciate this, uh, Chuck, as a fellow who preached week in and week out. My favorite book of the Bible was always the last one I just preached, 
uh, every every text, you know, the, the last one I taught, that would be my favorite. And I had so many. I think I could have preached through Romans uh, my whole life. I could have done the Gospel of Matthew. I love the historical books of uh, Joshua and so forth. But in this season, I, I it's that 2 Corinthians 4 passage that begins, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. As a young man, I thought myself immortal. I was an oil field roustabout. And when I was, I didn't wear any of the safety gear like I should have because I thought I was going to live forever. Well, mm -hmm. now I know that I'm not. I really do feel like a brittle jar of clay. So when Paul writes that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, boy, that resonates in the way that it never did before. And so that's my aim with whatever months or weeks or days I have to try to show that what's in me comes from the Lord and not me. A point I made in that video about my mother-in-law says she would have rejected those, or she would have rejected the idea that she was a courageous person because she knew that that was all the Lord and not herself. So that whole passage is just so encouraging. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Man, I'm right there. I'm carrying around the death of Jesus. It's just a matter of time. I can hardly breathe. I Talking's really hard, getting worse every day. Man, I got the death of Jesus all over. But real quick, the life of Jesus is going to be mine. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to breathing better. Looking forward to having a good, strong voice with which to sing praises. And in heaven, I'm going to post much better times in the marathon than I ever did here where I was just lucky to finish. I want you to imagine that somebody is sitting on the other side of your desk and has just been told that they have ALS and they pick up this recording. What do you think you would say to them? I'd say, first of all, that I'm uh, sorry and I understand. It's a shock to the system. It was a shock to mine. I was a reasonably healthy person. I finished more than a dozen marathons. I was a plogger, not a runner, a plogger. And I expected many more years. So I understand how it can be quite a shock. I would also encourage them to get in touch with a representative of the ALS Association. They've been very helpful to us. I would encourage them to be ready to accept the support and help of people who love them, not to resist that, 
not to turn in and isolate and resist the efforts of others to help. And then most importantly, I would encourage them to uh, trust Christ Jesus because there's no one and nothing more important to us, not only in this life, but in the life to come. I know that being in ministry your whole lives, you've heard what I've heard so many times over and over again. We've heard people say, I don't know how people could go through something like this without the Lord. Whether they're speaking of cancer or divorce or depression or addiction or disability, we've heard that over and over, haven't we? And uh, now I can say that with full effect from my own heart. Bill, I want to thank you for doing this. Thousands of people, we believe, will hear your testimony when you are sitting in glory. And I want to thank you for allowing us to invade the aura of Lou Gehrig's disease with you. What a gracious, loving, and caring man you are. And I want to thank you for just taking this time with us to minister the gospel to broken people. We are marking ministries and we exist for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to encourage people to find hope and comfort in the only one who can provide it. And that's our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for being a part of this. I want to thank you who are listening for being a part of this. And I want to pray for us as we as we close. Father, I thank you for Dale. Thank you for his wonderful wife, his family, and for the words that we have heard from him and from you over the past few minutes as we have talked about this broken world fractured with things like Lou Gehrig's disease. But you have promised that you will restore to us the years that the locust has eaten, that great and mighty locust that you have sent. And I pray that for my brother Dale. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage him with perhaps his own words as he seeks to encourage the rest of us. Thank you for his testimony. Thank you for his love for you. But more importantly, thank you for your love for him. We pray that you'll comfort him with the word of Christ. May it dwell in him richly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C, Org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.